Today's show is sponsored by Bob's Red Mill. With natural foods, they support organic, vegan, paleo, and gluten-free lifestyles. Learn more about their commitment to good food for all at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Arroway. It is a kind of drizzly, cold Sunday here in Brooklyn, and uh, I'm warmed in the station right now by two veteran movers and shakers of the Brooklyn food world and the greater food world, I would say. Um, They have teamed up uh, to create a project which, you know, by the best of um, both both their generous brains uh, is no doubt awesome. It is called the Good Fork Cookbook, which I'm holding right now. It is written by the chef co-owner of the Good Fork Restaurant in Red Hook, Brooklyn, Sohi Kim. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. And it's also co-written by Rachel Wharton, veteran uh, James Beard Award-winning food writer. Yeah. Hello. How are you, Kathy? I'm good. <laughs> former host here at Heritage. <laughs> yes. Former... A little bit of everything. Editor at um, Edible Cookbook. I mean, cookbooks. Magazines. Edible Brooklyn, Manhattan. Okay. So you guys teamed up to write this cookbook. It is a, it is a fun... Um, it, it's cool that it came out on the 10th anniversary of opening the Good Fork. In, yeah. And uh, that was... Which a, probably wasn't even planned. Well... Originally. <laughs> originally, no. But it, it sort of happened that yeah. way. And I think it yeah. was perfect. Yeah. So the Good Fork opened in 2006, Mm -hmm. and at that time, Red Hook wasn't like uh, a very happening place in Brooklyn, at least. No. Brooklyn itself wasn't known as a restaurant capital. Right. Right. Yeah. So the movement was just happening, which, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't think um, was happening, (laughs) but it was happening. Uh, And that's just where you lived. Yeah. It was a place that uh, my husband, Ben, and I, you know, we purchased a dilapidated house and we fixed it up. And and, and I was around that time kind of tired of working in Manhattan and and Mm -hmm. was looking to do something um, on my own eventually. Mm -hmm. But um, and I didn't think that I was ready in 2006. But, you know, we got the place and things kind of happened very quickly. Yeah. And, I love you know, reading about a, that history. Yeah, it was a big leap of faith. Not yeah. at all ready, but uh, but kind of ready. Flying and, um, sort of blind. And, yeah. And uh, your husband, Ben, is a carpenter, so yep. he built the restaurant. He did. He did. He, um, you know, I always say it's it's the craziest budget that we had, <laughs> which was no money <laughs> budget. Really? So it really was a project, uh, you know, born out of like excitement, enthusiasm, a, a lot of naivete mm. of how the restaurant business worked. And, and it was really like, you build it and I cook and then hopefully we'll have some customers. <laughs> right. But you, you sort of honed your, at least your kitchen um, skills in some of the finest kitchens in New York, working uh, with Anita Lowe at Anissa. Yeah. And you also worked at Blue Hill for a while. I did. I did. And I, and I, you know, I definitely had a lot of great cooking jobs working under some amazing chefs. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, I wasn't ready, but certainly 
But did I, you I know how the, to, uh, like, what it took to open a restaurant? Not at all. That's the thing. I was kind <laughs> no. of cocky as a cook, yeah, right? Okay. Been cooking, mm-hmm. you know, for several years under these amazing people. And you're like, yeah, I got this. You know, yeah. I, I could I could do this. <laughs> but, hey, you, it wasn't in Manhattan. It was, it was sort of Manhattan. under the radar kind right. of place. And I think that's the whole thing about that, that era is that people wanted to get away from sort of the fine dining, mm-hmm. away from yeah. Manhattan. And, uh, and that's how the Brooklyn hip, cool, the food right. scene sort of sort of happened and it was a community thing like the first week or so it was just your friends and neighbors right and then it blew fr- blew up from there yeah. it was where you lived um, you wanted to do it where you lived right exactly yeah um you're you're also a pioneer in terms of the food and for anyone who hasn't been to the good fork and knows sort of it's it's hard to describe so i, I wanted to <laughs> read a little bit from sure. your description okay. um in the introduction you write, um, I knew well before we opened the Good Fork that I wanted to cook globally inspired cuisine, not exotic or eclectic, just flavorful. It's how I cooked at home. I would add a dab of Chinese fermented black beans to my gravy when I roasted a chicken. Good trick. Or kimchi to my steak and eggs. Ultimately, I merged everything I learned about French and Italian technique from my day job as a cook um, with the American classics I'd come to love from the Korean cooking that's in my bones. So you you put Asian dumplings on your menu, yeah. and you also had a very traditional sort of Italian ragu, right. like wild boar Tuscan yeah. ragu, on the menu at the same yeah. time yeah. at the Good Fork. <laughs> yeah. And uh, people were like, or at least no. you, you said your family members were like, what the heck is that? Yeah, I, I say it in the book. My brother was like, what are you, crazy? You can't do that. You know, dumplings. <laughs> what, what did he Wait, think we, you should do? Did he, he, did he offer you a substitution? No, he said you either do, it's either, you know, Korean food or Asian food or you focus on Italian food or right. if you want like a so he, he was very much you know he was towing the line of tradition and back then it was very much like that you open up you know Zagats and it's like you have the Italian and you have mm-hmm. French and, and it was very sort of regimented and the blurring the lines back then wasn't happening but right. I think I think myself the Good Fork and, and there were other restaurants that were willing to do that mm-hmm. and taking the chance to do that and I think that's when the palettes of New Yorkers sort of started changing yeah. too why just be so beholden to, right. to this one concept why not be a little bit playful right because people um, wanted other flavors too right. that they didn't know or that right. they had just tasted right and the word fusion to me didn't quite do the trick and I think because of the time it was sort of like that confusion. We remember fusion. the it's 90s. It's still a bad word. It's it really still is. Yeah, we don't, yeah. Even though everything, I mean, it's like almost it's, everything yeah. is fusion. Thing, right. uh, cuisines are, fu- are being fused. Yeah. But we don't call it fusion. Uh, right. what, what would you call it, though, uh, globally? So it usually takes like at least three sentences to say fusion. <laughs> it, does. <laughs> it does. You're right. You're right. Does. Okay. Can we just use fusion? Or well, no? I, I mean, know. Lately. I want to bring back the word because it <laughs> yeah. just completely, I, people take hate it, it so much. <laughs> I did a story for the journal about this word, actually based on, on working on our on our cookbook just yeah. because I could see that everyone people get so uncomfortable even though it's truly what you're doing there's now, nothing it, to be ashamed of does right. it depend on who uses the word because you yeah uh, so he was saying you know she does things in a very natural way you know these this cooking is in my bones and then this cooking is what I learned right um and I, I don't know. And then I feel like with the old sort of fusion, that was a sort of label slapped onto um, restaurants that were very 
uh, how do I say, deliberately, you know, consciously trying to be a little funky and crazy. Well, actually, and failing. failing. And failing. Well, failing was the Asian. I, said, I did this right. whole story. I traced yeah. this whole thing. Okay. So I think, I mean, I have, it was a, several years ago, but I think when it really started to falter was with like the explosion of cheap Asian fusion right. places. That's it. But like, the, I think the original term was in the 80s with Norman Van Aken, who was cooking in Florida, and he was completely inspired by the Bahamian and Caribbean ingredients that were used in that area and he wanted to bring what he like this renaissance of American food and ingredients and he wanted to but use what he knew what was in his place and so it actually started in like completely the same place of integrity mm. okay. right yeah so yeah, it's just but, but what that, people left with, with yes. that word fusion was the bad. By the know, late the, 80s, yeah. 90s, it was like Thai, Chinese, something, something. Raps. There's always right. involved Asian. You never yeah. hear like, like, well, this is a Israeli fusion. Or like, right. you know, Even right. though like completely we have that. Uh, yeah. Totally. Or Italian fusion. Yeah. There's like an Israeli-Brazilian place, right? That right. just opened in right. the Upper West Side. <laughs> so I don't really object to the word as much as I did mm-hmm. about 10, 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like, like, like what you said, Rachel, like taking it back you know what yeah. I mean? because Let's it is it. essentially yeah. it it was and is fusion mm-hmm. done right and right. I think that's you know that's you have to sort of clarify is it done right or mm-hmm. are people go- and how do you know if it's being done right when well, people it enjoy it good. Yeah. and it tastes good um, and you could taste the various ingredients on its own terms and it's not muddled mm-hmm. and it doesn't lose its integrity mm-hmm. um, and that's what I really honestly tried to do and I thought a lot about it with the first menu yeah um, I don't want to make it a fusion so if I have an Italian dish on there and that is wholeheartedly made Italian. you know yeah. Italian mm-hmm. homemade pasta and really follow the traditions of how a ragu and the flavor develops then it'll stand on its own, and then we could put an Asian dumpling next to it. <laughs> so will they? So the biggest question for Ben and I, it was, will they? Will people order, you know, Asian dumplings, pork and chive dumplings, to start their meal and then finish with a wild boar ragu? Like that was the biggest question hmm. for us, and not really having the answer, we just kind of did it and saw, and they did. People like did they wanted dumplings to start their meal, and then they would have like a salad as a mid course, and then they would finish with pasta like it it was like okay because that's how i would like to eat that's how i ate mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um and it worked and i think people like my brother who were sort of against it, it's like it's not going to work there's no way this will <laughs> succeed but you know working in um you know the other restaurants that you had before do, did you see that you know palettes were leaning towards a more global absolutely. direction absolutely so yeah. yeah it wasn't like it was definitely a eureka moment of of working at these very established well received you know um great restaurants that, that um, saw no border right, right. so yeah. so take for instance my my time at blue hill um mm-hmm. dan barber and michael anthony were co-chefing at the time and they bring you know with them each very different set of you know, skills. And Michael had worked in Japan for a while, and he really, I saw him use a lot of Japanese ingredients. Right, like miso Um, on some carrots or something. That's right. And it worked really well and very harmoniously. So um, so I was like, okay, so this is a type of quote-unquote fusion Mm -hmm. that works where you, where you, um, when you do it right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also Anita um, at Anissa was definitely, she was, her brand was, you know, it's like, 
her technique was French, and mm-hmm. she worked at a lot of French restaurants. But she was bringing with her a lot of global, not just Chinese, you know, her background is Chinese American. But she she would she would use some Korean ingredients, and we would talk about it. Like I want to use naengmyeon for this next ah. dish, and I'm like, what? <laughs> Do you remember <laughs> how she would, she would how she descri- how did she describe it? Her restaurant then. <sighs> She, I think it was she, eclectic new American. Oh yeah, and that's mm-hmm. and when we came on the scene, they eclectic. we were again mm-hmm. we were also eclectic mm-hmm. new American, but but casual, right? So yes, not whereas, as whereas Blue Hill yeah. and Lisa, they were of the fine dining era, right? Um, <clears throat> I, I think they're my generation and people who were signing leases in Brooklyn were like, you know what, we're gonna do great food, but in a casual setting, mm-hmm. and uh, you know not make it as sort of stuffy. And mm. unwelcoming, right, right, and and uh, and and there are a lot of restaurants of that time that still exist today that sort of define. Um, and I think there was a book written on it, right? So the uh, Brooklyn New, oh musical, yeah, Brooklyn New Cuisine. Yeah. That actually wasn't even that many. It's but yeah. maybe two years before, yeah, three or four years ago now, yeah. Uh-huh. And you're still around, though. A lot of these new Brooklyn, uh, they're actually just starting to close now. They're just right? starting yeah. to close, or they've opened up. Uh, you know, what about um, uh, Park Slope? What, what's her name? Um, Italian. Franny's? Uh, Franny's is still there. Still there, yeah. Um, oh, the Bar Corvo. Yeah, Bar and Corvo. Anna Klinger. Anna Klinger. Yeah. Aldi Law. Um, Aldi she's Law still, is still there. Oh, yeah, she's going on like 18. Is she 20 years already, maybe? I think that the 2005 yeah. is when she opened. That's um, right. So a lot of, a lot of these... Rest- well, we're here in Roberta's right now. That was yeah. another game changer uh, for the neighborhood at least here. Right. Um, right. but so let's talk about your journey here because um, you know you've been around the block um, and then you know in Red Hook you've mm-hmm. weathered the storm of the century <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> hurricane or super storm Sandy mm-hmm. and uh, what happened then you got flooded you had to yeah it was a mess it was a depressing <laughs> awful mess <laughs> um, and you reopened and we decided to reopen and I do you know Rachel and I talk about that in the book about how that almost destroyed us yeah um, but there was this resolve um, you know we're eight years in yeah and uh, came back they, there was a moment though I did look at Ben I was like maybe this is this, maybe we should just stop there's <laughs> some cosmic force telling us rather to stop. than stop though you you opened a new restaurant um, in Gowanus, that mm-hmm. took a while because um, you also built it. And it's very large. Yeah, it's called Insa. Right. It also has karaoke booths. Yeah, um, and it's it's a whole other beast. It is, yeah. but it, I think everything. So the turning point for us as um, restaurateurs, um, creative people, chef, builder, was when Sandy happened, and we rebuilt the restaurant even better. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that's actually when Sandy hit. I had the idea of writing this cookbook, mm-hmm. and as well as doing something else. Okay. Um, and the first with the book, it, it was like, okay, so we've been around for so long. We're going to be ten years old soon. We should really sort of commemorate and just document that yeah. the Good Fork existed. Mm-hmm. And it, it really came from a place of sentimentality, like all these beautiful people that we met along the way. You and know, they're lovingly employees. depicted throughout this book yeah. and written about. Yeah, and I just felt like, yes, yeah, a little restaurant in Brooklyn that could. And I felt like we had a, a really heartfelt story mm-hmm. to share. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and uh, and the publisher and, and my editor got it right away. Yeah. And um, so I'm very proud of the book. Um, with Insa, 
you know, that was us trying to be better business people uh-huh, <laughs> and finding uh-huh. a location. Totally that different is a, approach. A, yeah, totally different it. approach. Okay. Yeah, big, but fun. Like, you know, I knew that we didn't want to do another good fork and call it the silver fork or the excellent fork. Like, that wasn't going to happen for us. <laughs> the better fork. The better fork. <laughs> um, the good fork the is very fork. special in its own way, and yeah. it couldn't be followed up by anything. Mm-hmm. So the next project, I knew it would have to be something very different. And around that time... I felt like I was rediscovering, uh, you know, the food that I grew up with. Yeah. I came here when I was 10. So there's, there's a lot Korea. of memories, you okay. know, of Korea. Um, and, uh, and I think this happens to a lot of um, chefs, you know, who harbor a certain heritage or um, upbringing mm-hmm. in terms of culture and identity. Yeah, roots. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's, so that was what was happening <laughs> for me several years ago and I said to Ben I was like it should be Korean food and I think uh-huh. it should be barbecue because it's so fun and then he added and karaoke and I <laughs> said no. <laughs> no no you said no I said no initially because I didn't want it to sort of dilute you know the, uh, the, the, the gravitas yes of what, what I was trying to do with Korean food not that it should be serious but I was like well are they going to take this less seriously because mm. there's a karaoke um, component attached to it and obviously the answer is no like mm-hmm. why not have a great place to eat Korean food celebrate with your friends and then and party in the karaoke <laughs> room like one stop they're know, really nice time. karaoke rooms too I should add he did a great job yeah. and, and again just like with a good fork uh, it was ground up building and it was mm-hmm. really so fabulous to watch him be in his element um, and design and build this space. From this raw space in the totally raw, yeah. Totally raw. Not too far. I'm really envious That's of those skills. Have you? Have uh, any of them rubbed off on you? The carpentry? No. Not at I all. I just think about all the That's things I could do if own. I knew how to do yeah. them. <laughs> all right, ladies, let's talk a lot more about some of these recipes after a quick little commercial interlude. Okay. Bob's Red Mill has been milling whole grains since 1978. When you mill whole grains, you get all three parts, the bran, the germ, and the endosperm. The bran, or the roughage, makes up about 14% of the whole grain. It's the outer skin of the edible kernel. It contains large amounts of B vitamins, some protein, trace minerals, phytochemicals, but most importantly, dietary fiber. Learn more at bobsredmill.com podcast. All right, we're listening to Eat Your Words, and I have a quick little plug message about a cool upcoming event. Um, are you a member of Heritage Radio Network yet? Because membership not only supports the production and the broadcast of this show, but it comes with some perks. So all current members are now invited to a monthly happy hour series called Books and Brews. Our first one will be April 10th, or sorry, April 12th. <laughs> At Three's Brewing at Franklin and Kent in, Green, in Greenpoint. And the host of Eat Your Words, myself, yours truly, and my new book, The Food of Taiwan, will be there. So you can get a signed copy of The Food of Taiwan, enjoy some beer, and meet some Heritage Radio Network, uh, Heritage Radio Network hosts as well. So 
come on, join heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to get your exclusive invite today. All right. So that should be fun. Hope you guys mm-hmm. can make it. Yeah. Um, you're all welcome, of course. Um, my guests are, again, Rachel Wharton and Sohi Kim. They have jo- uh, teamed up to write the Good Fork Cookbook. And how did you guys... So so he was just saying, you know, you decided to really commemorate this journey of uh, opening the Good Fork. Um, did you want to write it yourself, or how did you get Rachel involved in the project? Well, again, sort of the naive, like, I'm going to write a cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to open a restaurant. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to br- yeah. write a cookbook. And, uh, you know, I, the, my agent was like, okay, so you guys have this story to tell, so give it a try. But, you know, I strongly recommend um, working with a professional f- writer. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, um, but should we give it a try first? So we did. And she, in, a, in a very nice way, she's like, why don't you call Rachel yeah. <laughs> Wharton? <laughs> and I was like, I know that woman. Yeah, so you guys already were very familiar with each other's work. Do you, and, do you remember uh, the story? You? Uh, no, I don't actually. I mean, because I, I don't. But I do remember as I wrote about her kimchi for Edible Brooklyn uh-huh. a bazillion years ago. Yeah, and I still uh-huh. remembered. And that was such a nice story. Um, and it was a great piece. Uh, were you inedible. pregnant? Did, did, were your I think kids I was born? pregnant. That's I think amazing. I was pregnant. Yeah. It um, with Oliver or something. Anyway, so, and I was like, oh, I know Rachel. She's awesome. And she's so great. And I had this great experience with her. And so I called you, and you're like, so he, I hope you're calling me because you want me to write. Is that what I said? Yeah, you did. Oh. I was like, yes, I am. <laughs> that is hilarious. Great minds think alike. Yeah. And so we reconnected. And uh, she's a pro. She's well, a pro. I, I want to say, so... It took. I mean, it took a while. I mean, to actually come up recipes. with the. Um, yeah. Well, no, to to even come up with the format of the book for the proposal, <clears throat> right. and it actually didn't gel until we were like a year into the process, mm. like working on the recipes. Yeah, getting how do them you organize true. it? Should it true. be because meats they, and then sides and which I, I mean, even season? though those are those are fantastic ways to organize right. a cookbook. That's, that's for some reason, I never want to do books organized like that yeah. so Breakfast, it was they, lunch, I don't know. They, they were like oh we have some big news we're actually going to open the second restaurant this was we were way into the process mm. for, for this book for the proposal at that point and that's when we finally realized that it should be chronological the right. chapters are like her growth their growth oh. as a restaurant and as a right. chef and so oh, the last chapter makes so much sense. the last yeah. chapter is is the beginnings of INSA right ah. so called sonmat which means in Korean taste of hand which I use a lot of that term in, in at INSA to sort of train new cooks and to get them to understand. Okay. So, yeah, we have yeah. the kimchi recipe, the step-by-step photos, which I love, <laughs> and then scallion pancakes, um, you know, with seafood, the pajun. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it gets more Korean. <laughs> yeah, it does. But, but definitely there's four other chapters preceding uh-huh. that, obviously, and that really focuses yeah, wild on the... wild boar ragu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one's good. That one looks there's good. There's a chapter called, you know, the carpenter and the cook, which... <laughs> Which I is the first like. the first min the first menu for the restaurant. Right. So the uh, opening one is parties. Yep. House parties, I mm-hmm. think we call it. When they were could you had oh I, you should talk about the cool job you had at the Sony Club? Was that it? Yeah. Where you had, well yeah, that was um that was which really gave you the odd. opportunity to really yeah. have a home life as a right. chef. Right. So I worked for Anita, I worked for, you know, Dan, Michael, um, worked at Savoy. And so after I sort of did the restaurant stint, I was like, I need some stability in my life. I can't work too many crazy hours late at night and on the weekends. So I got a corporate job cooking at this place called Sony Club that oh, wow. used to be the quilted draft. Like, 
30 mm. years ago. <laughs> okay. um, so they mm. did fine dining food for the executive executives of right, Sony. Right. And, um, and they had, it just, it was a really well-funded corporate restaurant. Uh-huh. And um, so we were still doing very interesting things. But what the perk of it was that, you know, I got paid overtime, <laughs> treated like an actual worker. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and I had weekends, most weekends free. So then I was able to really hone in on so the your, basic concept yeah. of my food. Develop your style. Right. And so that's the opening chapter, talking about these house parties that we had in oh, a very up-and-coming neighborhood, yeah. Red Hook, as you mentioned, which was a different place back then. Wild dogs roaming. <laughs> and there weren't a lot of, like, you know, people there yet. Yeah. So sort of the end of the world, you know, where is this in Brooklyn type of town? Mm. Um, So we threw some epic parties in our backyard and married eight couples in our backyard. (laughs) Like, those are crazy fun times. Um, So there was a lot to tell in the narrative of of the the restaurant. It's also really, it it goes hand in hand with the type of food here. Because you could definitely, you know, looking at photos of the parties in the backyards... (laughs) Um, this food is like really fun, celebratory, colorful. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like a party, like yeah. each um, and approachable. Each and you know, approachable. It's, it's not you know, at there's, all. There's like a green bean salad with some citrus here oh, and some nice like that's the long bean. Yeah, yeah long I beans love that. with the coconut. Didn't I like fight for that? To stay? I you think did. I fought for that recipe to stay in the book. Yeah, you did. Tonkatsu, sweet breads, <laughs> deep fried. That one you is know, also awesome. That's just They're so much awesome. fun. And you know, dumplings. Pretty, you know, simple. So it's like, I, I just love the freewheeling style of, right. of the cooking. And I, I hope everyone can try this and throw a party, too. Is that the... <laughs> that's the hope. <laughs> that's the, you know, that seems like the type of cuisine. Yeah, we didn't do menus. Oh, oh, oh boy. No, we didn't do we menus. Did, we could do something and put them on this, your site. <laughs> we could. <laughs> that might be cool, actually. Yeah. We should do that. So, mm-hmm. yes. I, I hear you guys are also working on a new cookbook. <laughs> yeah. Yes. In our spare time, we'll <laughs> work up some menus and put them on the website. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a cookbook, uh-huh. not about INSA this time, but of course, it'll it'll include a lot of the greatest hits of INSA restaurant. Okay. Um, it's not but about also, INSA, it's but not about INSA. Mm-hmm. It is about Korean cooking. Nice. Um, and uh, and just and, and I'm going to take a trip this summer to do a little research in Korea. Awesome. Um, Atlanta. I haven't I haven't been there in 16 years, so uh-huh. it's going to be a great sort of you know homecoming awesome. kind of deal. So yeah, a lot of exciting things in the works. Very cool. I hope you invite me to the parties. <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course. In two Taste like, testing. Like in two years. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the, the t- book the process, recipes, oh. recipe testing, yeah. perhaps. Um, it's been All the an absolute editing. That's the best part. The yeah. editing. Yeah, no, I'll help recipe test. <laughs> oh, will you come yes. and, ta- yeah, and taste come. the recipes? Uh, yeah, definitely. Because we're thinking about doing it. All the recipes in the Good Fort Cookbook was tested, you know, out of my house, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and some of the people helped. But oh, I know. It was it's also shot. All the photography was shot in my, oh my living room. So it, it just was a fun process with beautiful photography by um, our friends Bouge and Zach, um, who live across the street. So <laughs> um, cool. And uh, so it, it was a very comfortable, very painless, amazingly fun experience. Yeah. So for the second time around, you should come to my house I would and love eat to. some Korean food. I love <laughs> it. I love this, the whole community vibe of it. And um, it worked out really well. So yeah. thank you. <laughs> thank you for having us. Thanks so much for joining us, ladies. Thank you. Um, uh, I guess that's about all the time we have. But thanks, everyone at Heritage. And we'll see you next week on Eat Your Words.
for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.